Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it, but you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, and we'd love for you to come and visit us. There you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. And if you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, all of that will be at your fingertips. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways. Like Dan from Chicago, who won last week's giveaway and whom we had the very great pleasure of meeting in person at Reader's Studio last weekend. Congratulations, Dan. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Baleful Five of Cups, which is associated with fiery Mars and deathly Scorpio. Therefore, this week's winner will have the chance to choose a print of Mel's Tower card, which is associated with Mars, from Tabula Mundi, or her gorgeous death card. Now, if that's just way too strong medicine for you, you can instead choose a sturdy canvas 4x6 studio pouch snazzily emblazoned with the Fortune's Wheelhouse logo. You can find out more and sign up for the drawing at our site, www.patreon.com slash Fortune's Wheelhouse. And if you're looking to hang out with other Fortune's Wheelhouse listeners, you can head over to Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy, which is a Facebook group moderated by astral superheroes Darren, Naya, and Maria. At this very moment, over 100 listeners are geeking out on esoterics and even planning a Fortune's Wheelhouse meetup for the fall. It's a lot of fun, and there's a ton of great people on there. Maybe you should be one of them. And now, here's this week's episode. So we are here today to discuss the Five of Cups. We're bracing ourselves. It's a toughie. Uh, also known as the Lord of Disappointment or Loss in Pleasure, which is a really interesting way to put it. Is disappointment really the same as loss in pleasure? Kind of. Kind of. I guess to me, disappointment implies that there's like an anticipation that has not been met. Right. Yeah. A desire unfulfilled. Yeah. I, I call this card the I can't get no satisfaction <laughs> card. <laughs> yeah. And loss and pleasure is just kind of an 
ambiguous phrase, right? Because it doesn't mean you're having the pleasure, but you're experiencing loss well. A lack. There's like a lack of pleasure. There's like less than you expected there to be. Or you have been a person who experiences pleasure and you no longer do. Right. In some way, it's like a desire unmet or unfulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been curious about how how you think about it in terms of the relationship to the Six of Cups, Lord of Pleasure. You know, it's almost like you're going back up the tree and you start from the Six where there's pleasure and you go up the tree to Five where there's loss in pleasure, which prepares you for greater things, I guess. Anyway, so disappointment or loss in pleasure. The most remarkable thing about this card is how much Mars there is in it. We were talking about this before going on air. And this is, we think, the only card where the energy of the planet is tripled. There's three ways that Mars is associated with this card. First of all, it is the five of cups. So that's associated with the Sephira Givora, which is associated with Mars. That's the first way. It is associated with Mars' rulership of the first decan of Scorpio. So we have rulership by face or decan. And finally, Mars is, in fact, the ruler of Scorpio. The traditional ruler. Yeah, the traditional yeah. ruler. The modern exactly. ruler is Pluto, although you can certainly see the you story can see. of Pluto in the cards For as sure. well. <laughs> For sure. If you're a modern astrology adherent, you can definitely see how Pluto works in the Scorpio cards of five, six, and seven of cups. Yeah. Just as you can see the way Neptune would work in eight, nine, and ten yeah. of cups. Yeah, the Pisces cards. Right, yep. right. And you could see how five, six, and seven of swords, how Uranus would govern those. Yep. But uh, the Golden Dawn stuck with the seven traditional planets, and uh, so that's what we're going to do. So we have an extraordinary amount of Mars in this card. And by the way, in terms of these double cards, you it's worth pointing out that you will see that doubling in a sequence of seven cards, zodiacally speaking. So basically from the last decan of Libra through through all of Scorpio and through all of Sagittarius, those seven decans all have this doubling effect where the Sephira correspondence numerically uh, points to the planet and then also the planet uh, has face rulership. Or it might just be the sign rulership and the face rulership as the doubling. Yes, we also have several cards throughout the sequence of 36 cards where there's sign rulership plus face rulership, which gives another doubling effect. But in terms of the Kabbalistic ones, they're all in a line. Yeah. Late Libra through Sagittarius. So if you remember us talking about doubling in the eight, nine, and ten of wands, that's why. Okay. So this is a card that has Mars written all over it in every possible way. Astrologers call Mars the lesser malefic, and we can see a lot of its maleficence (laughs) on display here. Indeed. Yeah, if you think about the other Mars cards, um, Nine of Swords, Two of Wands, Ten of Cups, Seven of Wands, Three of Discs, in those you have, you know, cruelty, dominion, satiety, valor, and work. But here we have kind of what happens when, you know, out of control Mars does what he does and leaves behind all this stuff for you to deal with and clean up after. Wasteland. (laughs) Yes. What do we associate with Mars? His aggressiveness. Right. Desire nature. His desire nature, definitely. His destructiveness. Right. 
warlike qualities Mm -hmm. and heat. Oh, yes. And energy, his ability to, you know, when we get it for the card of work, it's great because he powers, he's the engine that powers the work, right? right? So he has a positive side too. Courage, that's another positive trait of Mars. Mm -hmm. Focus. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is why you get it in um, the Seven of Wands. Right. Ambition, which can kind of cut both ways. Yeah. But here we have... Too much Mars. So much Mars. <laughs> too much Mars. And too much Mars leads to not enough water. Because you'll note in every, all three of these versions of the Five of Cups, there's no water in the cups. Well, actually, there's water in the Rider-Waite-Smith Five of Cups. You can't see it if there is. You can see the water in the river, but you can't see water oh, in, in the, cups. the cups themselves. Yes. The cups are supposed to be empty, I think. Although it's... A little ambiguous. You don't see any liquid in the cups there. I think definitely what we can say is there is that fight between fire and water here. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talk in elemental dignities about the way that fire and water are opposed in the way that earth and air are opposed. And they are certainly not getting along here. You know, when we look at the six and seven of cups, we'll see different relationships, uh, to water, but here we have a truly antagonistic thing going on where fiery Mars in the watery sign of Scorpio is not comfortable. Yeah. I and mean, he's doing his best to dry everything up any way he can. <laughs> Cracking the cups, spilling the cups, <laughs> evaporating the water, whatever it takes. So associated with Mars is the major, the tower. And so that emphasizes his destructive nature. Right. The breakdown. The suddenness and the sort of totality of his ability to devastate things. It may be for a constructive purpose ultimately, but in the moment that it happens, you're just wasted. And here paired with the Scorpio major, the death card, yeah. it's particularly potent. Yeah, tower plus death. If you've ever wondered why the five of cups is, you know, such a downer, <laughs> that's it right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I haven't experienced this myself for this card, but mm-hmm. I've even read that some people consider this card one of the literal indicators of actual death. Interesting. And I can kind of really see that in the Rider Waite image with the black cloaked figure. For sure. I've experienced it, and we'll talk about this more later on. I've definitely experienced it in terms of mourning and ghost and ancestor contact. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that because especially sometimes death is a release, and we'll probably see that more in the six, but death can be emotional disruption and a loss. I mean, and traumatic. For sure. And, you know, when we talk about the death card being associated with the five, six, and seven of cups, you know, confronting death has stages. You know, sometimes they talk about the, I forget how many stages of grief, but... um, Probably five. Probably five. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but, you know, if you want to, break it down into these three cards, the five, six, and seven, this is the sudden shock of death. This is death when it comes and how painful it is when it arrives, the cutting down of something in its prime. But the six is sort of that moment where you try to regroup and make sense of it. And then the seven is what you take away from it and transform it into something new. 
which can be negative or positive, depending on how you confront it. But I really think that we see the sort of experience of being in the presence of death playing out in these three cards in a pretty linear way. Yeah, I see something really interesting about these cards. And this is not something I've read anywhere by any authority. It's just something I started to think about. And there really seems to be something there that these Scorpio Deccan cards, the five, six, and seven of cups. So if you think about Scorpio and the death card and Scorpio as a water sign, I started to think about the waters of Hades. Like the river Styx. River, yeah. So mm-hmm. there's five rivers. Yes. There's five rivers. There's the Styx, the Phlegathon, the Lethe, the Cocytus, and the Acheron. Mm-hmm. So what I started to think about those, the mythologies of the waters of Hades in yeah. terms of the five, six, and seven in cups, it's really fascinating. And there are a ton of parallels. Cool. So when I started reading about those rivers, in terms of the five of cups, there's the Phlegathon River, which is called the Flaming or Fire Flaming River. Fantastic. And I was like, that's the five of cups. And then I also think the five is associated, five of cups is associated with the Cocytus, which is the River of Lamentation. The woe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the um, Lethe River is oblivion. That's the river of forgetfulness. That's yeah. the seven of cups. Yeah. You know what I mean? With all that mm-hmm. disturbing visions and kind of heedlessness of intoxication and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the river of for- forgetfulness. Good. And then the um, Acheron, which I've seen called the river of woe. But there's also a story about, there's multiple stories of it as a place where the dead went to be cleansed of their sins before they uh, could have the pleasures of the afterlife. Uh, So you associate that with the six. With the six. So I thought, you know, and, and the river, the river sticks is, you know, that's the, the main river where you have to cross over and, um. Yeah. And that's the one that the, the gods swear their oaths on as well. Uh, There's a finality and sort of, you know, the buck stops here quality about the sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of was thinking about that and I see, you know, the five and the seven in some of them. And then I see in the six, and we can talk about that more when we get to that card, but in the six, I see the, both the Acheron and the purification, but also the Elysian fields. Yes. You know? Oh, that's really cool. So I like that. It's, yeah. a, it's a really interesting theme. Yeah, so this is this whole five, six, seven of cups thing can kind of be thought of as a journey through the underworld. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really is. It, I mean, I, I was just... When it came to me, I was just like, wow, there's really something there, even though this is nothing I've ever seen anyone else mention. Yeah. And, and the mythologies are really interesting. So there's, you know, the, the the Styx was a goddess. The river was personified as a goddess. And uh, she was in love with Phlegathon. No um, kidding. And mm-hmm. But she was burnt in flames and sent to Hades and, you know, consumed in flames somehow. But then they were reunited because they were both turned into rivers and allowed to mingle. The two I rivers see. So mingled. Styx and Phlegathon were actually yeah. mortals originally. Yeah. And then... Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So right. it's just super interesting. That's fascinating. Yep. And then there's the whole, you know, the stories of Dante's Inferno. So the fifth circle of hell is just past the river Styx. 
And that is really cool because that is the sphere of, of hell where crimes of violence are punished. And I can see that in terms of this Mars, 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 you know? Yes, yes. And, and the association with Givora. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also a place, uh, they called it for the wrathful and the sullen. And then the, <laughs> the wrathful were in perpetual fighting and the sullen were drowning in mud. <laughs> and and look at this card. I mean, yeah. mud, the mud of Scorpio, the dried up waters, drowning in mud, the wrathful, the violent, the the Mars. It's, it's all in there. Like, wow, that you know, it's all in the mythologies of the the waters of Hades are all through these three cards. And yeah, I, I found that really that's really fascinating. Great. Yeah, it's like these death decans. They, there's a story about heaven and hell there. You know. Yeah, and even if you back up. Just before Scorpio to the final decan of Libra, there's almost this quality of vigil about the final decan of Libra. You know, in the Rider-Waite-Smith, we have the man resting with his arms folded as if he's about to go on this journey through the underworld. Yep. Yeah. Neat. That's cool. And then afterwards, after these decans, we have the eight of wands the first decan of Sagittarius, which we associate with Mercury psychopomp traveling between the worlds and Iris the rainbow goddess and yeah. all of that. So they're sort of like bookended by entrance yeah. and exit from the underworld. Yeah. That's cool. It really is interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so we talked about, we talked about the whole suit of cups as being possibly associated with the hanged man uh, because elemental water. Um, so it's interesting to think about the three majors, chariot, death, and moon, as a another kind of journey of the hanged man. And you could think of the chariot as what he's looking for, the thing, you know, his quest. The quest, yeah. Exactly. And then the death part of it is his sacrifice, what he gives up for it, his yep. payment. Yep. And then the moon part, I thought, is, you know, the secrets that he gets, his altered yeah. state of consciousness. Yep. You know, how the he visions. comes through on the other yeah. side. Yeah. It's kind of like passing through the underworld, the journey of the sun at night through the solar, with the solar barge and the moon. Right. And- right. Right. Exactly. And I think that like, you know, in these Scorpio decans, we're in the heart of it, in the fixed heart of that journey where the transaction takes place. So there was, you know, the, the cancer cards are about going there and having the intent to do it and what you're seeking. And then here in the Scorpio cards, we're all about the thing you give up, you know, in order to gain the thing you look for. And then yeah. in the Pisces cards, we'll be talking about dreams and visions. There's there's another cool mythology. It's kind of reminds me a little of this. It was um the story of Phaeton, the son yeah. of Helios, who asked his father for a favor. And his father said, yes, I'll give you anything. And he asked to, to steer the chariot. Bad to idea. Ride the, yeah. And it, it went disastrously bad. And I guess so. But it has something to do with the story of Scorpio, because what I was reading is, oh, and the oath that Helios sweared to give his mortal son uh, this yes. boon was, was done on the river Styx, right? Mm-hmm. So... And he swore to give him anything. It turned out really bad because he took the chariot. First, he took it too close to the constellation of Scorpio. And, and he got frightened by that. And he went down and he, then he got too close to Earth and he burned up the Earth and created a big swath of desert through the Earth before Zeus uh, struck him down with a thunderbolt. And then he fell into one of the rivers of Hades. 
So, you know, there's some parallels For sure. Yeah. Was there any sort of transformation myth of what happened to him afterwards, I wonder? A lot of these heroes when they die, you know. I'm not sure. You know, he he ends up falling into this, one of these rivers and... I'm, I didn't follow along. Doesn't turn into his, a tree journey, right? or a dolphin. Yeah, yeah. There's no, <laughs> there didn't seem to be a miraculous resurrection going on there. Another interesting thing about that Phlegathon uh, River is it was said to be, you know, fire, and but it said it was a stream of fire that coils around the earth and flows into Tartarus, and it was parallel, ran parallel to the sticks. Oh. If you, when you see like maps of. Um, yeah. Virgil's maps of hell, you know, the, the yeah. rivers were somehow parallel. But were then, there any but others? But then I read other sources that said mm-hmm. they mingled that story of, so that maybe there was a, a crossing point or. Yeah. But anyway, hmm. who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting to think about just because, you know, you think of, you conceptualize the Phlegathon as this river that's like on fire and burning red and orange. And the sticks is always described as the black waters of the sticks. Yeah. So kind of. The two of them running parallel with these very martial colors. So the time of year we're talking about is from October 20th, 20, 21st or 22nd to um, October 30th or 31st. Yeah, the end of October. Almost yeah, to the, almost, yeah, almost to almost Halloween. To the, right, the uh, when the veils are thin in the world of the dead. Right, so right between the five and six of the cups – these cards of loss and memory, you have this moment where the veils are thin and you have the contact with the dead. Um, All Souls Eve, which is Halloween and All Souls Day, when you remember them on purpose, yep. is the uh, is November 1st. And the Day of the Dead on the 2nd. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see Coco? No. Oh, my God. Coco. This, so that's the latest Pixar film. It's all about Day of the Dead and you know, oh, Mexican cool. culture. I'm just I like cry, cry, it. cry yeah. the entire time. Yep. So good. So as we approach this moment through the Five of Cups, it's uh, it's the thinning of the veil. And, you know, and I, and I, I almost think of that as like, you know, if you can imagine the mists of, of, of water being dried up by – Mars, so you can see right, through, right. right? Oh, that reminds me of something else. I wrote down about the faith Phaeton story, mm-hmm. and um, it was a quote from. A, there's a bit of that story in Ovid, and there's one quote that reminded me of these cards a little. It said, "To this day, the marsh exhales a heavy vapor which rises from his smoldering wounds. No bird can stretch out its fragile wings to fly over that water, but in mid-flight, it falls dead in the flames." <gasps> and it sounds like that journey from the six of cups to the five of cups. It doesn't does. It, <laughs> it does. So this is where Phaeton fell. Yeah, in that spot. In that, yeah, that's that what spot, happens. That's what happens. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's wild. So I guess we can talk a little bit about the Kabbalistic stuff. We talked about how this sequence of doubles uh, on the Tree of Life is sort of in full spate here in Scorpio because we have the five of Givora ruled by Mars. We have the six of Tiferet ruled by the sun and then the seven of Netzach ruled by Venus. The Sephira Givora ruled by Mars, which is the one we're talking about. I like the way you describe in Liber Mundi the idea that this card depicts emotional severity. 
you know, we're in the world of emotions, right. cups, and right. severity through right. Devora. The mm-hmm. disruption of your emotions. Right. And, you know, it's interesting, Givor is very often translated as severity, which is how we get the pillar of severity. But I looked it up last night, I just tried entering in Givura into a translator to see what they would come oh, up interesting. with, you know, in English. And it came up with severity, but it also came up with heroism, might and valor. Yep, And that all has to do with Mars. But yeah. On the opposite side of that, there's also it's also been called fear. Pachad and fear. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's almost the, the flip side. Yes. And I think that there's definitely two things going on in here. Uh, you know, you two ways that you can deal with death. You can be trying to hold on to life and feeling the loss uh, and the disappointment and loss and pleasure that are the titles of the, the hermetic titles of these cards and why they're called that. Or you can undertake it as a hero's journey. You know, we talk in Greek mythology a lot about heroes who try to travel into the underworld. Yeah, there's so many cool stories about that. Right. And, you know, how they have to be prepared for it. And when I see that the word gevura has these overtones of, you know, might and valor, that kind of reminds me of the fact that, you know, to be a spiritual traveler, you have to have courage, you have to have the willingness to face the most frightening thing of all. Yeah, they don't call is, it a hero's journey yeah, for nothing. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about with the five is the five ages of man. So there's the uh, the gold age, the silver age, the bronze age, the iron age, which I guess now, what would it be? The Silicon Age? Would that be the fifth one? I mean, what, what is it? What is it now? Because yeah. the Iron Age is kind of like passing. Um, yeah. But anyway, it made me think of in terms of these three decans because, you know, you have Iron of Mars, you have the gold of the sun, and then you have the copper of Venus. Mm. So, so there's kind of, there's a story about those too, because with the five of iron, if you think about iron, you know, the magical weapons of Gavora are the, the chain and the spear and the scourge, you know, and things like that. And that's all, you know, right. iron, iron, iron. And then you get to the six of cups and it's the sun. And there's this story about, you know, Gold, mm-hmm. it, the process, the alchemical process of gold and creating gold in the distillation process. There's a big story there around right. gold. For sure. And then when you get to the seven of cups, Venus, there's that whole thing about copper and how it's, um, external splendor and right. internal corruption. corruption. So that's right. like, there's that kind of thread going, there is. going through these three cards. And then if you also think about that sequence from five to six to seven, from Givura to Tiferet to Netzach, you have associated majors you have, you know, the adjustment card or justice card, right? So the path from... Oh, you were talking paths. Givura to Tiferet, you would have Libra, the the justice or adjustment card. And then from six to seven, you have Nun, you have the path of death. So you you also have this reflection of the time of year, uh, the numbers reflected in it, and, you know, this whole sort of tying in the balancing out of of death and its transfiguration or transmutation. There's a lot going on. It really is. You know what's really interesting about those, you know, how how much these cards resonate across the tree of life is that uh, historically, Eteya, <clears throat> one of the meanings that he assigned to the Five of Cups, he assigned, you know, heredity and marriage, which I'll talk about more in a moment, which are cardomantic meanings. But he also literally linked the word Kabbalah with it. Kabbalah meaning what is received. Mm -hmm. So there's this 
you know, recognition of what you hand down from one side of death to the next. Generational you know, one, one stuff. One generation yeah. to the next. And ancestor stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting that signification that he uses is kind of the only tie that I see between the sort of dark modern meanings of this card and its historical cardomantic significations. It was once considered one of the most, I'll read off the, you know, uh, I'll translate it from the French. It was once considered the one of the most happy or fortunate of oracles. Um, it predicts heritages. It also marks success in everything you undertake. In classic cardomancy, the five of hearts was considered a good card related to the idea of marriage, like an unexpected inheritance, the consequences of a benevolent action from someone who's close to you, and marriage through the idea of mutual agreement. And if you look at like a five of cups, you can kind of see that in the sense that there's, you know, two sides of a family combining to join one in the center, a new thing in the, in the center of it. But it's strange to think that there's such a difference between that, those past significations and the modern ones. And to me, that has to do maybe with the fact that historically, and even now to some extent, death brings benefits, right? You know, it's like you have a loss, but you also have a consolidation of resources and something new where people can start a new life, right? Right, You know, so those two things are kind of tied together and worth bearing in mind when we consider the very dark overtones of this card, that it's important to look ahead to what you're going to take from it and transform into something new, which I think is, to me, part of the message of the Five of Cups in Rider-Waite-Smith, where you have the two cups left behind. You're thinking of all the things you've lost, but there's also something new that you inherit to bring forward. You mentioned the two cups standing up. One thing that mm-hmm. occurred to me, and I don't know if it was intentional on on their part when they designed the card, but two cups are upright and three are down. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of the exact same thing that Crowley's trying to say with the um, reversed pentagram. Two, oh. two points up, three points down. So two cups up, three down. Yeah. And I don't know if there's if that was intentional or not, but I don't know if it was, but that makes a lot of sense. And also think you know, of the the gesture over of the yeah. Um, yeah, the gesture of the the hierophant and yeah. the um, and the devil and and the devil and no, the devil's like this, right? Yeah, still it's okay. a it's a yeah. I'm holding up sign. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding up my four fingers for the devil, but with the hierophant, it's the two fingers up, the three fingers down, and we also see that on the ten of swords. So there's an as above, yeah. so below thing going on. Yep. But also, as Either you way, said, it's the like two a points. V of five, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So those, those gestures definitely seem to point to different ways of interpreting the five. One thing I read about five in relation to Gavora is that every of the uh, Sephiroth has um, a vice and a virtue. Mm. So the, the virtue of Gavora is energy and courage, while the vice is, you know, cruelty and destruction. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So the Deccan images are pretty disturbing for this one. Um, from Agrippa, we have a woman of good face and habit and two men striking her, meaning comeliness, beauty and strifes, treacheries, deceits, detractions and perditions. And that reminds me 
of like this idea of the male and the female together having a bad relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Some people actually talk about this as being a sort of veiled image of sexual assault. It sounds like it. Sounds like it. Yeah, with, you know, Mars and Scorpio. Yeah, you could see that being a, well, frankly, a card of rape. Yes, frankly, yeah. 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 And then the Picatrix one is a man with a lance in his right hand and in his left hand, he holds the head of a man. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Settlement. The the lance in Mm -hmm. his hand reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, the the spear as one of the magical weapons. Yes. And significations of sadness, ill will, and hatred, uh, not too much terribly ambiguous about that. Mm. I think that both of these have that idea of the suddenness and untimeliness that death can, death can have that feeling that it's out of season. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The freedom from the cycle of matter. Right. All right. Do you feel like going, uh, one by one? Yeah. Why not? We're ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. We, did it a little bit in a oblique yeah. way, but we can. There's a lot more to to get yep. into, though. So let's uh, let's start with the Rider Waite Smith Five of Cups, and um, so one of the things that Waite said about this card, he said that it was a card of loss, but with some left over. He said it had to do with inheritance, patrimony, but not corresponding to expectations. So there's that like anticipation, but let down. Wah, wah. And uh, marriage, but not without bitterness or frustration. (laughs) So he too was trying to bridge that cardamantic meaning of marriage to this sort of darker view. (laughs) The idea of marriage is disappointment. (laughs) The old ball and chain. (laughs) Hey, the chain's one of the magical weapons. There you go. There you go. Exactly. Right. It says of the weapons, the scourge lashes and the chain binds for all time. (laughs) That sounds a bit Saturnine, really. Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. But nonetheless, it is for ours. Yeah, there you go. Uh, So... Well, let's see. First of all, let's talk about the river. You were talking about the rivers of of Hades. So that's yep. that's really interesting. The idea that you're standing at the brink of yep. the entrance to the underworld. Uh, and also, it's said to be the same river that we see on the death card. Mm. Um, and then there's the bridge, which is the whole idea of the crossing the bridge, the rainbow bridge, the yes. crossing over. You know, it's definitely a death. Yeah, the idea that you have to get from one realm to the other. Now, that bridge also appears, I believe, on the Four of Wands, same bridge. Uh, And it is said to be the Maidstone Bridge, which was a a, uh, bridge near Smallhithe Place, where Pamela Coleman Smith and uh, and her friends spent a lot of time. And And it's interesting if you contrast the Four of Wands, you know, uh, Venus in a martial sign, Venus in Aries versus the Mars in Scorpio, Mars in a martial sign. You can see that what the benefic Venus does to create, you know, this bridge environment where you're going towards something you're anticipating to be pleasant versus the Mars where it's all about all, all right. the things you've ever lost. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the castle in the background isn't an interesting edifice. I mean, it could have be a reference to the, to the tower. tower. That's what I was thinking, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the idea that 
I, I've always thought of that bridge as a bridge to somewhere, but maybe it's a bridge from somewhere. You know, the idea that you came from stability, from that very solid castle keep, you know, or from a four of something, which is all points in matter and well-founded, to this moment of disruption. You came over the bridge into a whole new world of pain. So it's as if the lightning hit your castle and then you cross the bridge of death and here you are. And God knows what is coming out of those cups. I know, some of it's green <laughs> and some of it's red. I'm like, what's up it's with like, the green and red? Yeah, I can seriously. see red being wine or blood, but what's the green? Antifreeze? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's a very interesting choice on her part. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see why the gray sky and the black cloak, though. Yes. Even though they're not, you know, specifically colors of the scale, they're appropriate in feeling tone of, you know, loss and desolation. Absolutely. Although I'd often tell people, especially with this card, I am often tell people that the black represents fertility and potential as well. And that's partly just sweetening the blow, but also the fact that anytime you have loss, it clears the way for something new. Right. You know? Yeah, that's the Scorpio, the theme of, you know, regeneration. I think, you know, the fact that that cloak is so all enveloping, we never see anyone wearing clothing in Rider Waite Smith that is so total, right? That covers them up from head to toe practically like that. You know, I think that, that, that represents the fact that you are absolutely enveloped in your grief and your, uh, your inability to see past that in that moment. Right. Yeah, and it's worth, if you have a Rider-Waite-Smith deck out right now, you should take out your Tower, your Death, and your Five of Cups and, you know, put the Five of Cups in the middle and just look, because you can really get a strong feeling of what this card is about by doing that. Right. <laughs> I Maybe she just wanted all those fluids there to be different colors, because, you know, green is a color of life as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, could be. Oh, um, before going on to the thought, I, want, I have one more thing I wanted to say about the the Five of Cups and Rider-Waite-Smith. I think if you read, uh, what do you call it, Austin Kopic's thing on Five of Cups, where he calls it the jawbone, and he talks a lot about hunger and satiation in this. Mm-hmm. That makes sense with yeah. desires unfulfilled, you know. Right. So that this to me is a, a hungry ghost card in yeah, a way. Yeah, I was actually right? thinking of the same, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that the cycle of anticipation leads to disappointment. Love and loss go hand in hand. Wanting more and it not being there. Right. To which one solution is to simply escape the wheel entirely. But to me, you know, there's a lesson in this card of the idea that, you know, if loss and longing go hand in hand, some people are afraid to fall in love because of the loss that accompanies that or to feel that deeply. But, you know, to me, I think of that in reverse as well. When you lose something, you say, this is the price I pay for experiencing love in this life, right? Right. You know, this is why. It is the way it is. This is the the pain is the price for the love that you feel the rest of the time. It's like having a dog. It is. It is. You know that the pain will come yeah. because they don't live as long as we do, and yet they have so much love to give. Yes, they go hand in hand. They do, and 
you know, I was thinking about how we cry at weddings and at funerals, right? You know, people think that those are two different kinds of tears, but they're not really. It's because you're feeling time going by. You know that things don't last. And, you know, at a wedding, you're happy, but you can't believe that so much time has passed and that it has come to this, you know, and that you're in between one generation and the next now, handing off to the next. Maybe it's that uh, this card in a way represents that pain of being on the wheel. And you know, I, I had written this essay on the Five of Cups where I talked about this card representing the momentum of longing driving the flywheel of rebirth. It's this feeling that you can't get off the train because everything that you know and love is tied in with pain and loss as well. That's Indeed. cheery. <laughs> <laughs> on that cheery note. On that cheery note, let's move on to Thoth. <laughs> so, yeah. So you can see, um, I can see in this card, mm-hmm. the, the hot wind. I mean, look at the, look at the lotus. It's getting, it looks like it's getting blown apart by, a, by a hot wind. Yeah. It's just destroyed. Yeah, this is like, you know, the fires of Mordor. Right. <laughs> the cracks of doom. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that way. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that Thoth does so great is, you know, really push the elemental mm-hmm. qualities, you know, and by not having a scenic you know, human-centered focus, it forces you to really say, okay, what happens when you have an overdose of fire? What happens when you bring the fire to the water? You know, what happens when this, you know, this fiery planet is in rulership? And, you know, and look at what happens to the water. Look at what happens yeah, to the sky. Yeah, he calls this card the, the chot, or the chote. I'm yeah, sure I'm it. not sure either. But it's, um, you know, it's like an arid sea in North Africa where mm-hmm. in the summer it dries up completely and it's all salty and... and kind of gross. Gross and, you know, <laughs> marshy and, you know, stagnant, brackish, salty water. I can see that, you know. And also Mars hitting water, th- triple Mars hitting water, that, mm-hmm. that that's what you'd get. You'd get the sea drying up and turning into something like that. And when you think about the choice to make these cups, to make these cups glass, made out of glass, right? like made fragile, out of sand. Yeah, sand and also the fragility, you know, of life mm-hmm. and the potential for shattering. Yeah. So if you wanted to make something to hold, you know, hold water in a desert, it would be made out of sand, you know, right. and, and out of the heat that fuses the silicon together. But then also, you know, the overpowering fiery wind that makes it impossible to literally hold water. They're actually cracked and chipped, aren't they? I'm not sure. They don't look. look cracked and chipped so much. No, I must be thinking of something else. Yeah, you're uh, right. In my uh, Rosetta deck, I made them cracked and chipped glass cups. Yeah, that's I, what I'm I, thinking of. Yeah, because you know, for that reason, mm-hmm. you know, interestingly enough, so in the in the Thoth card, you see that inverted pentagram, you know, and it's yeah. about matter over spirit, the triumph of matter over spirit, or the disruption um, of the five motion coming to matter. So the cracks and chips, you know, I wanted to show that disruption to matter, but also in in the Rosetta card, you'll see in the in the center, it's this like they're in this weird geometric thing where it's t- the two over three, mm-hmm. the inverted, but in the center there's an upright one. Yes. So it's almost like, you know, the difference between will and want. 
what you what you want and what you mm-hmm. think you're going to get aren't necessarily the same thing, you right. know. Um, right. So if you have Rosetta, you should pull out the Five of Cups in Rosetta, uh, in Mel's Rosetta Tarot, and you can see the way she's, you know, arranged the, the Five Cups, you know, much like the Thoth card in an inverse or averse pentagram, but because the bases are pointing towards each other, that causes in the negative space, an upright pentagram to appear. So, you know, there's a, there's a coded message (laughs) of spirit over matter in there. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. So one of the things that Crowley said was, he characterized this card as disturbance just when least expected in a time of ease. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think he's, you know, he he mentions the fives in general as being the uh, idea of motion added to matter. And then he says in water, it's a disturbance of luxury and pleasure. And those are the two cards on either side of the five, the four of cups being luxury and the six of cups being pleasure. So in between you have that disruptive force that's, you know, spoiling it kind of. Yeah. He also mentions this card in relation to the geomantic figure Rubius, which is really interesting. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Not only because of the connection with Red and Givora, which we'll see a lot more of in your card, but also because Rubius is supposed to be the most malevolent geomantic figure. If it comes up first in the reading, you abandon the reading because it's considered so evil you shouldn't even look (laughs) at it. Right. And and also uh, Rubeus or Rubius, however mm-hmm. you want to pronounce that word, it's associated with Mars retrograde and the sign of Scorpio. So That's I can right. see why he would link it to this card. And it's also said to be good in all that is evil and evil in all that is good and completely unfavorable. That's right. And there's so there is actually a geomantic figure for each planet in each sign. So I mean, not for each planet, but you know, for Mars in Scorpio and Mars in Aries. So each planet in its in its rulership. So Mars in Scorpio's nature is Rubeus, which means red. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I can't remember which one is Mars in Aries. Puer. Puer, which is, you know, so quintessentially male. Yeah. Which makes sense too. Right. <laughs> yeah. But we should, I wish we'd had, we'd done this also for the majors, you know, for the tower and for, yeah. you know, and for emperor and death. But you can't do everything. Nope. We try <laughs> we to try. do everything, but we, it's just you not know, possible. Eventually, I, I have this feeling that by the time we get to Princes of Disc, it's going to be like four hours long I know, because I was, we'll I finally know that. everything. Every, every episode gets, <laughs> seems to get a little longer. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So, so if you look at the, the associated majors with, with the Five of Cups, it's interesting. I mean, you have, you know, the, the watery themes from the death card mm-hmm. right there. You can sort of see that dark sea and the, uh, lily pads growing up from it, which you also have in the, in the death card in Thoth. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that's what he's turning up from yeah. down below. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have, of course, the the fiery sky, you know, sailors take warning uh, from the tower card. Mm. I thought it was amusing what uh, Lon Milo Duquette had to say about this card. He said uh, that Mars is too happy here. Matter of fact, he's so happy, he's too excited to engage in foreplay, ruining what could have been the slow process of passionate decay of Scorpio. <laughs> oh, love Lon Milo. 
it's kind of interesting to compare this card to the two of wands, you know, Mars and Aries, the tower and the emperor, uh, where you have, you know, something that's, that's certainly just as forceful, but kind of a bit more constructive. So maybe that's sort of the diurnal versus nocturnal side. And in a fire sign too. I mean, Mars is just so much at home. Right, right. Although he's at home in Scorpio, but it must just be, you know, well, you know, okay, too so, much fire for the water to handle or something. Yeah, Aries is is not only a fiery sign, but a masculine one. And right. then, you yeah. know, Scorpio is a watery sign and a feminine one. So there's, you know, there's, there's power, but discomfort as well, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Interesting to think about. All right. So shall we look at Tabula Mundi? Yeah. So we have from the tower card... The way the earth is all cracked, if you look at the tower card, the tower itself is cracked in that same similar kind of manner, you know, these cracks of destruction passing through. But it's also a visual of the chart that Crowley talks about, the arid, dried up sea that, you know, in summer it gets all dried up and stagnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And also from the Scorpio card, you have the pyramids. But in a sense, they're almost like a stand-in for a tower because they're a structure, you yeah. know, a tall standing, you know, brick structure. But in in this card, they're more of a marker as, you know, long dead dynasties you know, rather than the more positive associations we have with the pyramids. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. all symbols, there's, they can stand, you know, different times they stand for different things. Yeah, and they it's an inheritance in both the bad and good yeah. senses of that term. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then from the death card, we have the fish. So the Hebrew letter for Scorpio, the death card I is, love that. is Noon. <laughs> that is the coolest thing ever, you know, the fact that you've got a, you know, a fish skeleton on, yeah. on the Five of Cups. I've always loved that. Yeah. One thing I ran across in research was that the Mayan glyph for five is sometimes shaped like a fish. Really? So I thought that was really cool. That's I didn't know that before. Awesome. Yeah. And it also makes me think more about the Hebrew letter associated with the tower, the mouth of pay, you know, it reminds me of that jawbone or hungry ghost yep. thing we were talking about yep. before, the mouth that's hungry and keeps on trying to yeah, and consume. This, this being a desert, I mean, think about it in the desert, there's not a lot to eat. Mm-hmm. Things are dying because there's nothing to drink and nothing to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of hunger in, in, in a desert environment, I would imagine. For sure. And a lot of death. For sure. And the fish being, you know, a symbol of, you know, life beneath the waters and and fertility and wisdom, the fact that it's dead and dried up, it's like the death of wisdom, the death of fertility, the loss of those things. Mm-hmm. You're, you're feeling the loss. You know, I wrote a little bit about in the book how the Chinese character, uh, Yu, mm-hmm. is fish, sometimes looks like fish bones. And that's mm-hmm. a character that means, you know, abundance and but it symbolizes desire for more, more abundance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that kind of resonated with this, you know, disappointment being a desire for something you don't have, a desire for more, a lack, yeah. implying a lack. It's almost the opposite of abundance. Right. But the fact that yeah. it implies desire. It's the poverty mentality, yeah. right? Yeah. The idea yep. that there's never enough or the scarcity mentality. Yep. Yeah. So then 
if we go into the the colors of the card, the the main color of the card, of course, is scarlet red. So <laughs> of course it would be with triple Mars, 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 right. and Mars. How could it not be anything other than scarlet red? Mm-hmm. And you know, color symbolism is really interesting because every color can mean different things under different circumstances in different contexts. So, you know, red can have all sorts of meanings, but in this case, the red is Mars. It's It implies the fire. It implies heat and destruction and, you know, Gvora and the tower. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's definitely appropriate for red to be really strong in this card. And then you have the colors of the two majors, all the tower colors, which, you know, it's also a lot of red. It's the the scarlet, the red, the Venetian red, and then the red with uh, either emerald or azure mm-hmm. uh, rays through it. Added to that, you have the Scorpio colors, which yeah. are all the watery and muddy colors. So you have the greenish blue, which is a real beautiful oceany color, but then you have the dull brown, the beetle brown, very dark brown, mm-hmm. yeah, like a beetle brown of the the death beetle, mm-hmm. and the um vivid indigo brown and so when you think of these greens and browns you do think of fertility and you think of the muck in the water as well as the water itself you know right 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 and the idea that down the road that blue and green is almost a promise of the transformation that will come but you're not there right now Yeah, exactly (laughs) the fertility to come but right now it's just kind of yeah. Stagnant. And in fact, you know, when we get to the six of cups, you'll see a much better balance of those two. Yeah, because here there's almost mm-hmm. a drought. So there's a mm-hmm. lack of water. One of the things I was thinking about in relation to this card. So what's the antidote? The antidote to the five of cups has to be either the four, you know, or the six, or maybe even possibly the seven. But either way, it's it involves adding water. So it involves mm-hmm. getting in touch with your emotions about something. You know, yeah. there's a lack, there's a lack of connection. That's right. There's, it's the cutting side of Mars. Yeah. So like the cutting off of the emotions, whereas you can, which you can solve with the, you know, Jupiterian, just make more yeah. <laughs> for kind of thing or yep. the six, which is sort of a bringing things back into balance. Yep. Or mm-hmm. even the seven, or even which the seven. seems, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit too far but um yeah but it's yeah. also adding visions you know it's not all empty and desolate you know bringing back the the visioning process right right and if you think about um just going back to kabbalah for a second if you think about the four versus the five the four of cups versus the five of right. cups and you have that sort of you know drowning in emotions versus cutting yourself off completely and then what you have in between negotiating between the two is the strength or lust card you know so that that ability to internalize and transform and rebalance that emotional story in general you know the strength card is the key to balancing out problems of the four or problems of the five by help- allowing you access to the op- to its opposite number yeah I think the message of this card is just the real need to connect back to either your emotional nature or your creativity. Okay, practical applications? You know, luckily, this isn't a card I get a lot for whatever that's Fortunately worth. Fortunately so for I, you. I, I consider yeah. myself lucky, but, you know, mm-hmm. it does come up and, you know, 
like we were just talking about, when I see it, it usually tells me that I need to refresh, you know, renew, refresh, bring in the water, bring in the creativity, bring in the love, bring in the, you know, visions, things of that nature. It's like telling me to turn towards that. Yeah. I've had some really interesting mundane manifestations. One of the most uh, recent ones that I had was on April Fool's Day when (laughs) Zoe knocked over a carton after she had uh, gone to take care of the chickens and five eggs broke (laughs) on the floor. (laughs) 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 Another time I um, was listening to a podcast on loss. Uh, Another time uh, was a day that I went to see Moana, uh, which is movie about themes of loss and the sea. I've had a lot of days where I've had trouble with my kids, like with Zoe in particular, like just throwing temper tantrums. That kind kind of of makes sense. Yeah. You know, the fifth house in astrology is about children. Yeah. And, you know, and with the tower, there's sort of an explosive thing going on. You know, she literally threw a chair one day. And that was uh, that was the day that I got this. And then there was a day that I cleaned garlic, which I associate with Mars. Yeah, totally. Um, I always have. I can see that. And then finally, um, in the Wildwood Tarot, this card is called Ecstasy. And, you know, the dance of ecstasy. So the standing outside of oneself, that's literally what ecstasy means, where you go away from your mortal body, uh, from your human ordinary life. Um, so I also associate this with stepping away from that. So like when I do journeying, you know, I'm stepping away from my ordinary body and I'm going to a different place. And I got it one day when I was journeying on the topic of my mother who died when I was very young. So there was this sort of theme of loss, but also Mm -hmm. standing outside the ordinary realm of things that went with it. So, you know, it's, it's weird. There's not, not a really obvious cohesive theme in, in what I've gotten it for, but every single one of the hits was apt in one way or another themes of, you know, of martial themes of difficulty, uh, martial themes of loss, but also, you know, the, the, the death or Scorpio theme of the sacred sort of coming through like your negative space pentagram in Rosetta the idea that there's something sacred to be gained from that experience. Oh, and you know what's super weird? This card, okay, I forgot about this. This card, there's a history with this card that I have that's a thread that's kind of run through for 20 years, which is that um, right before I got married to Randy, he found this card lying on the sidewalk. And I thought, well, that's spooky. spooky and very disturbing, you know. But in the years since, I have seen it multiple times for men who are about to get married. And I was like, How okay, strange. does that have to do with like the bittersweet end of an era? You know, I'm no longer a bachelor kind of thing. Does it have to do with I'm secretly very regretful that I'm about to chain myself to someone, you know, like we were talking about before, you know, but then I thought, okay, but this is now that I was doing this research for this, there's also this signification of marriage and inheritance and moving on to the next generation. And I thought, okay, maybe that's, you know, a cardomantic meaning that has sort of been quietly trying to suggest itself to me. You yeah, know, over perhaps. the years. I don't yeah. know. But. Yeah, I can almost see it, you know, Mars as being masculine and mm-hmm. men and then the union with something very feminine, yeah. water and you know, Scorpio. Yeah, so, yeah. 
hmm, so weird. But, you know, sometimes the cards are talking and you cannot understand what they're saying, but they just keep talking. So, so themes of the Five of Cups. Oh, where to begin? Uh, emotional severity, the triple Mars. The waters of Hades. The many rivers. And the fifth circle of hell. The malevolence of the geomantic figure Rubeus or Rubius. The five ages of man, iron and gold and copper. Cycles of hunger and hungry ghosts. Yeah, noon as the fish and the fish bones. <laughs> the scourge, the chain and the spear. <laughs> the uh, benefits of death and heritage and that which is received, the Kabbalah. The difference between wills and wants. Loss and love going hand in hand. I can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> the river Phlegathon, the flaming stream of fire, and the river Cocytus, the river of lamentation. The thinning of the veil. Matter over spirit and the inverted pentagram, the two over the three. Death is cutting down, rebalancing, and regrowth. Dead dynasties and the legacies that are passed down. Journeys to the underworld and heroes and valor. And how sometimes the pleasure sought is just not to be. Indeed. Disturbance just when you least expect it. And marriages not without bitterness or frustration. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think we did it. I hope, I hope you're all not feeling all withered and dried out and full of despair now. <laughs> and we will be back next time with sweet relief in the form of the Six of Cups. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. She's also just started selling signed and matted prints of the Tabula Mundi cards there. So now you can fill all your sacred spaces with beautiful tarot art. As for me, my forthcoming book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is available for pre-order online at Amazon, Book Depository, and more. Just search for Tarot Correspondences, T. Susan Chang, something like that. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints. And I also have my Zodiac perfumes there. So you can pick up a bottle of the Mystic Sea for your favorite Pisces or the cool yet electric Aquarius perfume, which I call Streams of Stars. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. And if you'd like a Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. They are at our Red Bubble shop, redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. And for those of you who have been our listeners for a while, thank you. You are the reason we do this. If you're loving Fortune's Wheelhouse and the fantastically geeky world of tarot we bring you each week, would you do something for us in return? Leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It's especially easy if you have an iPad or iPhone. Just search for Fortune's Wheelhouse in the podcast app. And when you see us, tap on our groovy purple album art with the Wheel of Fortune on it. 
It'll take you right to a page where you'll see a reviews tab. And there you can drop us some stars or leave us a sentence or two, whatever you feel inspired to do. And if you just want to talk tarot, well, you can find me, Susie, on practically every Facebook tarot group there is under the name T. Susan Chang. Thanks for listening. We always love hearing from all you heroes of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support.